over the years, over time. We lose why we have things or why we do things, the purposes and uh, the reasons for things and motives get lost over time. And so you have to continue to reiterate that. And so last week we brought the big picture and we talked about uh, the kingdom of God. And we said that when God created the heavens and the earth, when he created man, when he created the plants, when he created everything on this earth, he wanted it to look like heaven. Remember we saw that in the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. That word heaven wasn't even talking about heaven where God lives. Heavens, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word heavens actually means the sky and the the atmosphere. Because heaven and God have always existed. So God's plan, what God was trying to do, was extend what was in his unseen realm to a seen realm, to something that was tangible, to something that could be touched and seen and felt. And he wanted that realm, this new seen area, the earth and the heavens, to look like and to exemplify, represent heaven, where God was. Remember, we looked at over in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Everything that is visible is to show you what the invisible looks like. Uh, Several months ago, I guess last month sometime in December, I did a message called The Real Reality. We talked about the unseen realm versus the seen realm. We live in a seen realm. We look in things that we can touch and feel and and see and, and are tangible. But God is in an unseen realm. And he wanted everything in this seen realm to look like and to represent what was in an unseen realm. So to do that, he created the heavens. He created the earth in the beginning. And we know that the life and the world that was in the Garden of Eden, the life and the world, the way it was created originally, is nothing like we see today. Amen. It's nothing like we see today. Uh, So this earth at the time in the Garden, before man sinned, before man fell, uh, was completely different from what we know today. But... If we look at God's word and we look at what it says about that time and what it says about heaven, we can get an idea of what it looked like. We know that there was no sickness. We know there was no pain. There was no hurting. There was no fear. There was no worry. The things that we battle with on day-to-day basis and we're dealing with today, Adam and Eve were not dealing with. Notice that the entire world hinged on a man's decision. That's huge. If you want to try to take man out of the picture and try to say that God was in control, the entire fall of the earth and creation hinged on man doing something. And God gave Adam and Eve everything he needed to live and to strive after getting the kingdom of God in the earth. In fact, Adam didn't even know why the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was placed in the garden. God didn't tell him. God didn't tell Adam and Eve, there's a snake in here somewhere, be on the lookout, he's going to try to get you, he's going to try to tempt you, he's going to try to get you off course, he's going to try to lie to you and tell you that what I've been telling you is a lie. He didn't even say that. He didn't even warn him that there's a devil in there. Why? Because all that Adam and Eve needed was God's word. Tend my garden, keep it, cultivate the earth, be fruitful and multiply, expand and grow on the earth that I've given you. That's all Adam and Eve needed. Had they just done that, then they wouldn't have fallen away. God didn't have to warn him and let him know that there's 
another realm, there's another force that is against him and it might try to get man off course. But we know what Adam and Eve did. They sinned. They disobeyed the word of the king. They disobeyed what God had put into play. He said, do not eat of the fruit. And they ate of the fruit. And the entire world now has begun this downward spiral, this deterioration, this decay. It has now been given over to another ruler. But when God created the heavens and the earth, he wasn't just extending a belief system. He wasn't extending um, just a, another way of doing things or just bored and said, let's just make something. He was extending a government. He was extending a kingdom. Because the first thing you have to understand about God is that he is a king. God is a king. And you cannot be a king without a kingdom. Now, a king just simply means the ruler over something. So all of us, uh, you know, in essence, we are kings over something. If you own a business, you are a king over that business. That is in your authority and in your control. Uh, If you are uh, a husband with a family over a home, then you are a king over your family and your home. That has been given to you in your authority and in your control to manage and to uh, control it the way it ought to be controlled. Um, if you uh, if you are a mother and you have children, then you are a king over those children. You are Those have been given to you. See, everything that God has placed within our lives is, is not just the way things happen. From now on, from today on, you ought to see your life as assignment-driven. And what I mean is that there's a purpose behind everything that you do. Your kids haven't been given to you just because you decided to have kids. They've been assigned to you. And so now there's a task assigned to that. If you're a husband, then your assignment is as a husband. If you're an employee, that you are assigned to that job. If you're in this church and hooked up with this church as a member, then you have been assigned to this church to come alongside and, and bring a supply to this church. Those are all assignments now. Adam and Eve had assignments, and I know that's hard for us sometimes to grasp because we think of the Garden of Eden as this, you know, big paradise of, you know, just laying around doing nothing all day long and just basking in the glory of God's presence and everything that was around them and having no worries and no cares. And, but that just isn't the case because God gave them assignments. God assigned them. First, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 that God placed Adam and Eve, placed Adam in the garden. He didn't have a choice. He didn't say, well, there's some beachfront property over here I'd really like to go. Or, you know, God, I'm kind of a mountain guy, so I'd like to go live in the mountains. Um, You know, I'm more of a city guy, so place me around a bunch of people. And, you know, he didn't do that. God placed him there. He assigned him to the garden. Then he told him different tasks. One, be fruitful and multiply. Tend and cultivate the earth. Keep it growing. Keep Keep this thing going. So these are assignments. These are tasks. And so man has always been assignment-oriented. But now what has happened, we saw that Eve took of the fruit. And we said last week that what she did is she got her eye off of the creator and onto the creation. She got her eye off of God being her source and now looked at the earth and the fruit of it to be her source. And so the enemy was able to tempt her with something that God created. Did God create the fruit? Yes. Did God create the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Yes. 
So it wasn't necessarily that it was bad. It was going against God's command that he had placed with them. Do not eat of this fruit. They had a million trees they could have eaten from. Why that one? Because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represented something to them that they didn't have. And that was self-rule, being able to make their own decisions. No matter what you do in life, we all face this one issue that Adam and Eve face. We all would love to stand here to say, uh, stand here today and say uh, that we would have never eaten the fruit. We would all, man, that, that's easy. That's easy. I just don't eat of that tree. I mean, there's a million other trees in the garden. I just eat of a different tree, right? We all have said this. But it was what the tree represented. It was what came with the tree. And it was the ability to make your own decisions. No matter what we do in life, we are all faced with the same temptation today. Do your own thing. Do your own thing. And in the kingdom, in a kingdom, the number one, uh, the, the worst word in the kingdom, the worst thing in the kingdom is independence. The worst thing in the kingdom is trying to do things on your own, apart from the king. This is the one thing that we face. It doesn't matter if you're thinking about cheating on a test or cheating on your wife. It's the number one thing. I want to do it my way. And so sin, no matter what it is, is just simply disobedience to the king. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They disobeyed the word that God had given. And so now we see this downward trend. Now we see this this spiral into decay and deterioration and, and morals have decayed. Systems have decayed. Uh, what you have to understand is that not only did man give up something, because man did not fall from heaven. Adam and Eve were not walking around on the earth trying to figure out how to get back to heaven because they didn't come from heaven. God created them from the dust of the ground, created them right from the earth that they were made to rule over. Okay? Man did not fall from heaven. Man did not fall from, uh, you know, being in this place that we all believe we're trying to achieve to one day get to. And so now man's focus and man's desires have changed from trying to pursue something in the earth. Now we're trying to get to heaven. But Adam and Eve weren't searching for that. Adam and Eve were not looking for that. Adam and Eve fell from dominion and rulership over this earth. That's what Adam and Eve lost. And not only did they lose it, they actually gave it away. They handed it. So now we know that someone else is ruling over this earth, right? The enemy, Satan, is now in control. And we're seeing what his systems are doing. See, a kingdom is just this. Kingdom is a form of government. And what is government? If you just break it down, what is a government? A government is brought into a place to rule and control it to bring order to something. How many of you know that the governments of this world aren't bringing much order to anything, right? They're not bringing much order to us, not bringing much order to our lives. Why? Because they are a failed attempt to do what God already had in place. See, God already had the perfect system. God already had the perfect government in place. And he had order. And all he wanted Adam and Eve to do was fall in line with that government so order could be kept in the earth. But now we're seeing all these systems and all these things in the earth that are actually fighting against what God wants. Because no matter 
what type of government system you look at, whether it be a, a dictatorship, whether it be a democracy or a republic, there's all, all of them have a level of independence to it. They all do. I mean, today, uh, we celebrate in America our right. Our rights. I, I have a right. I have a say. I have an opinion. I mean, the president doesn't even get into position unless we vote him in, unless America has a say. And it's based on the majority. It's based on the majority. And the majority doesn't determine if it's right or wrong. I mean, there are things going on in our earth today, in the world today, that we know are wrong. But they're in place today. I mean, God is not in schools today because of a majority. Uh, There are laws about abortion that are in place because of a majority. We know they're wrong. But what happened? There's an independency that comes away from God and doing it the way he wants to do it, and we want to do it the way we want to do it, and we want to give people rights. We want to give people privileges. When If we just understood that if we were in God's government system, we'd have all the rights and privileges. The reason why God was able to operate as a king and a kingdom work properly was because he had the people's best interests at heart. That's the only way a kingdom can properly work, is if you are doing your job for the people. That's what a king ought to do. And the reason why he didn't want man in a position as a king was because he knew that man was prone to and would run a risk of independence, would run a risk. See, a king in the earth can only operate as God would want him to if he gives himself to that. And you look throughout the Bible, there were kings all over the place. You started with Saul, and then you went to David, then you went to Solomon, and you went on down. And you had kings. And as long as the king was after God's things, the nation was fine. As soon as the king went after his own things, what happened to the nation? Down. Okay? I mean, even Saul. Saul started out good. He actually started out as a good king. And then he went after his own. I want to do what I want to do. To the point that God actually had to come to him and say, I'm actually removing the kingdom from you. I'm having to take it away from you. Okay? We went to David. We went to Solomon. Solomon started out good, but he ended up doing what? Going bad. He ended up doing his own thing. He ended up, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and they're all worshiping different idols, and they're all from different regions, and so what does he do? He actually ended up succumbing to that, and now he's worshiping all the idols and no longer worshiping God. No, God is no longer his main connector anymore. That's not where he's getting his information from. That's not who he's leading the people according to anymore. So God never intended for man to rule over man. He had intended for man to rule over the earth. Because if you look with Samuel, the people were asking for a king. We want a king. We want a king. And Samuel said, God is your king. And God ended up telling Samuel, look, they're not, they're not rejecting you. They're, they are rejecting me as their king. They're rejecting me as a king. And he gave them a king. And so we see this downward spiral. So the systems that we have in place today are not according to what God originally planned, what God originally intended. And so last week we ended. We left off with where man sinned, where man gave up the right to authority and the right to the kingdom that God placed him in charge of. God placed man in authority. Adam and Eve were not running around looking for heaven. They were worried and concerned. And when I say concerned, I don't mean worried and what are we going to do. 
their only priority was what does God want us to do. And so they lost that priority. Today I want to pick up right there. Uh, let's start with Genesis chapter 3 because this is where the whole fall takes place. And this morning we're going to talk about restored. Amen. Because something's been restored back to us. Um, as I said last week, I started out last week saying that the kingdom, this message that I'm bringing you, um, there will be a lot of shock to it. There will be a lot of things that I say that will literally come against everything you've ever heard as, as long as you've been in church and as long as you've uh, read the Bible and heard things about God. Um, what I ask is what Jesus asked. I ask the same thing that Jesus asked. Make the kingdom message your filter. He said, quit trying to put old wine into new wineskins because you're going to end up losing the wine and the wineskins. But he said, put the new wine into new wineskins. What was he talking about? He was saying, make the kingdom message. Make the message I'm bringing you what you measure everything you know off of now. And I dealt with this myself. When I first heard this message, when I, came into, when I first came into this truth, uh, I had a hard time with it. I'm not going to lie to you. I saw it as truth, and I saw different things, but I didn't see everything else that I knew in light of the kingdom. So now I was trying to put the kingdom message, what, I was, what I'm about to bring to you today, into what I already knew about faith and what I already knew about healing and what I already knew about prosperity and salvation. And I found out very quickly, within about three to four months, I found out that I could not do that and continue on. I would lose the message, and I would, it would actually be a hindrance to me. I found out that I had to take this message and make it the foundation. This is not a subject. I'm going to tell you right now, this isn't just something I'm going to preach for the next four weeks and then never hit on it again. This is not a subject. This is the basis of everything I will ever preach. Everything that I have preached up to today is a foundation for what I'm bringing you. And everything that I have preached up to today is inside of what I'm bringing you today. This is not just he's talking about the kingdom and then next month he's going to talk about something different. This is the basis. This is the floor that everything else is in. We call it the forest. And we've gotten to know the trees really well. The end of, we know about faith, and we know about healing, we know about prosperity, uh, we know about salvation, we know about the Holy Spirit, but we don't see them in the light of the kingdom of God. What is the purpose for faith? What is the purpose for healing? Why, do you, why does God require you and desire for you to be prosperous? Uh, why, does, why is the Holy Spirit here? All these things need to be planted in the kingdom. So last week we got the big picture that God came to bring a government system. We got people all over the place. We got Christians that have been missing it for thousands of years. Last week I said that there's several reasons why I believe uh, this message has been lost. The first is governments of the world. We've been looking at, uh, especially for us here in the United States, I'm going to tell you right now, we probably have the hardest time. We will have the hardest time receiving this message. Because it attacks everything that we believe is a privilege and an honor to have. And I'm going to say, this is the best nation on the planet. I, don't, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. I'll tell you that right now. But a democracy is not a kingdom. 
Because in a kingdom, you have no right, you have no vote, you have no opinion, and you have no say. Whatever the king says, you do it. Period. But in a democracy, we have a choice. In a democracy, we get to choose. In a democracy, we can put laws into, into play, and we can vote people in it. Can you vote Jesus in office? Can you vote God as king? No. Guess what? He is king, regardless of if you like it or not. So the choice is, do we obey the king or do we not obey the king? You know, we hear a lot of people make Jesus Lord. You can't make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord, period. He is the Lord. The choice is, is he the Lord of your life? Is he the Lord of your life? Have you given yourself to him as the Lord of your life? See, that we're changing things. We're shifting things. You've got to make Jesus Lord of your life. You can't. He is the Lord. Do you obey him or do you not obey him? Okay? So let's look at this in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And let's start with verse 7. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open. This is right after they ate the fruit. Uh, Eve ate the fruit, and then she gave it to Adam, and he ate the fruit. The eyes of both of them were open. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not, or which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. What's this? The blame game. Remember, we talked on January 1st, we talked about excuses. And, you know, there are people that they just make excuses. The the past is the reason why they are. Uh, The way they were raised is the reason why they are. Their education, the lack of education, the wrong education, uh, the job, money. uh, There's all kinds of excuses. Remember what I said about blaming. When you blame, when you blame something or someone else, you're saying that, you are literally putting your purpose in your life in someone else's hands. That's what you're doing. If I blame my parents, and I'm saying that my, my purpose for my life and my destiny in my life is in the hands of my parents, and they messed it up, so now I'm just... But that, just, that, that doesn't sound like the Bible to me. So they're playing the blame game here. Verse 13, And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, And I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. You shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise is heal. This is what is so exciting. Man has just sinned. Man has just disobeyed what God asked them to do and asked them not to do. Just gave it up. 
Now, God immediately is tracking. Where did this thing start? Where did this thing begin? And he goes to the serpent, who we know is Satan, and look what he does. He puts into play a plan to get it back the way it was. That quick. That quick. See, we may have looked at this all our lives as God changed his mind or God got a different plan or God said, just forget it. Let's all just come back to heaven. And so we have missed the whole restoration. This word restored, this word restored, let me give you the definition real quick. Restored actually means to bring back to a former, original, or normal condition. To put back to a former place. I mean, the, the beginning of that word, R-E, re, means to go back to. I mean, it, it is relating to something that once was. And so we have words like restored. We have words like redeemed. We have words like renewed. These are all words that are in the Bible. And we've always taken this to mean that God has put us in a position to go to heaven. But that wouldn't be restored. If God were to restore man, where was man's original purpose? In heaven or in the earth? In the earth. So if God restores man, why is he trying to yank everybody back up to heaven? We're missing something there. Remember, I've used the illusion before, and I'll use it again. If my Bible drops from this podium and falls on the floor, if I pick up the Bible and I place it on this chair, did I restore it? According to the definition that I just read, to place back in an original place, did I restore the Bible? No. Where do I have to put my Bible to restore it? Back on the podium. Because that's where it was when it fell. So if Adam and Eve were not looking for heaven, if Adam and Eve, I mean, we've, we've asked it and I'm going to ask it again. If Adam and Eve did not eat the fruit, where would they be today? Here. In the earth. Because according to my Bible, death only came in because they ate the fruit. If they don't eat the fruit, the course of life and course of their lives as they knew it does not change. It all hinged on do they obey or disobey. In the kingdom, that's all that God's looking for. Obedience. Do we obey or disobey? The Holy Spirit's asking you to go and pray with that person in the aisle at Walmart. Do we obey or disobey? God is asking us to, uh, you know, give this, give this amount of cash to somebody because they need it. Do we obey or disobey? Our life is governed by do we obey or disobey God's commands. That's all that Adam and Eve had. The, the whole existence hinged. God is in control, sure, but God sure wasn't in control of if man fell. That was in the control of man. 
and their choice to obey or disobey. So we see right here that God immediately, I'm talking, what are we, eight verses down? We're eight verses down, and he's already putting into a a plan to get man back to their original place. And their original place was not heaven. Their original place was on the earth. On the earth. Their assignment to rule and have dominion. Man gave that up. Man turned over dominion. And remember the word dominion just means to control, to manage. Those, that's, what, that's what dominion means. And he gave that over to Satan. So now who's controlling this earth? Satan. Who's managing this earth? Satan. And we, we see it in everything. You see it in the systems of government. You see it in the systems of the sports industry. You see it in the systems of media. You see it in the systems of economics and finances. I mean, everything has been corrupted and is in a downward spiral of decay and deterioration. You know, on Wednesday, I I talked quite a bit about Tim Tebow because whether he knows it or not, that's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is going into a system that is now controlled and operated by the world and by Satan and changing it, not allowing it to change you. How many athletes that, hey, I'm sure they were good people, had good moral character, were, you know, were all right people before they got into the NFL? And I'm not picking on the NFL because every sport's got them. But you hear about people shooting people. You hear about people running into money problems, people running into drug problems. And Tim Tebow is unfazed and unchanged by any of that. He has gone into the industry and changed the industry. He has gone in, and he has received favor. I mean, taking a team to the playoffs that sure was not projected to go to the playoffs, and the entire time not succumbing to everything around him. At any time, did he have, did he have opportunity to talk back against someone that talked against him? Sure. Did any time, did he have an opportunity to worry or become anxious about his job? Sure. But did he do it? But did he continue to give God the glory? Did he continue to show that God was the reason why he was there and that he would excel because God put him in that position? He always has. I mean, I've watched him play from high school. When I was living down in St. Augustine, same guy. The same guy I watch on TV is the same guy I saw on a field 50 yards from me. Same person. He'll get down and pray. He's excited and pumped up. He's not cussing now. He's not moved by money. He's not moved. In fact, he's taken all those things, and now he's using them to advance the kingdom. I'm telling you, and he probably doesn't even know it. He doesn't even know it. He doesn't even know what he's doing, but he's literally gone into a system and made that system work for his benefit and for the benefit of the kingdom of God. Because the day after they beat the Steelers, I went online, and I went on Yahoo, and I wasn't even looking for it. I went on there. You know what the number one search item was on Yahoo? John 3.16. How many people came into the kingdom? I don't know. How many other athletes are have people searching on the web, the World Wide Web, Bible verses, after they win a game? It wasn't even Tim Tebow. It was John 3.16. Man, 
I mean, they're not even searching for Tim Tebow's name. They're searching for John 3.16. So he has done what God is calling us to do. That's why I can talk about him. Because he may not even know it, but he has gone into a system that is in a decay and in a downward spiral of just deterioration and corruption and falling apart. The sports industry, I mean, I just got done watching a thing on baseball and, and the whole drug era, the whole steroid era. And it's just amazing because it's all about people wanting to accomplish something for themselves. And you just watch it happen from the beginning. You go back to the 80s and the 90s and, and then into the 2000s, and it just got so out of hand. I mean, if, if they literally sat everybody down that was using steroids, they would have... There wouldn't even be baseball. It was amazing. And it was all because of a selfish, independent motive. Me, me, me. But Tim Tebow has gone in the system. It's not about him. It's not about him. It's for the team. And bottom line, it's for the kingdom of God. It's for God's glory. So we have been restored. God immediately puts into place a plan. Now let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. I pray that your eyes are open to this message. I'm telling you, when I heard this message and when I heard this word go forth, it absolutely set my life on a completely different course. I'm not the same person I was two and a half years ago before I heard this message. I'm not at all. Uh, It has changed everything I do. It has changed why I'm here today. Um, It has changed everything that I do, the way I raise my family, uh, the way that I work a job, the way that I talk to people. uh, When I go to Walmart, I mean, it changes everything. It is the reason why I'm different today. And I pray it does the same for you. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We read this a lot at Christmas time, but it's really not a Christmas verse at all. It says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Who's it talking about? Jesus. And the what? Government. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You notice these words, uh, Counselor, Prince. I mean, those are government terms. Those are, those are government, those are political people terms. You know, we have viewed Jesus in the light of being a religious leader, coming to bring a religion, coming to establish Christianity. Jesus never said anything about Christianity. Look it up. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There's four Gospels. I love they didn't just give us one book on us. So I have to give us four of them. You can go through all four of them, and it never says anything in there about being a Christian. Never says anything in there about Christianity. He's talking about something completely different. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it, and we talked about order, to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is a verse prophesying. Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus coming, about Jesus' birth. 
And he doesn't say he's coming to bring a religion. He doesn't say he's coming to get man out of hell and into heaven. It says that he's actually bringing a kingdom. He's bringing a government. He is ordering and establishing a government on the planet. Jesus is coming here to do that. So this whole idea of Jesus being a religious person, a religious leader, look, there's a lot of religious leaders out there. And when you follow after a religious leader, that's what you get, a religious leader. But when you follow after someone who is actually establishing a government, guess what you get? All the benefits and the privileges of that government system. There are privileges and benefits of governments. I mean, we have benefits and privileges. How many of you know that there are benefits and privileges to being a citizen of the United States of America? And you know what? Not just anybody can have it. There are people that are trying to break into this country, doing everything they can to get into this country. Why? Because they know there's a better life. They know there are benefits and privileges that there are to being an American citizen, to living in this country. And we have that honor and privilege by birthright. We were born into it. Okay? So with the king comes the kingdom. Wherever the king goes, there goes the kingdom. So with the king, Jesus is king. We just saw that he's bringing a government. So now he's bringing a government to the earth that we get to be a part of. Matthew chapter 2. Basically, you could sum up today's message uh, in I am showing you the purpose of Jesus coming to the earth. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not what you've been hearing at all. Not, it's not what you've been hearing at all. We all know what we've been hearing. Jesus came to the earth, died on the cross for our sins, that we could be saved from hell and go to heaven. That's why. That's why Jesus came, to make us a new person, and then one day we can go to heaven. But this Bible does not point to Jesus as doing any of that. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They're looking for a king. They're not looking for the religious leader. They're not looking for uh, this promised man this guy that's been promised to us that's going to make us right with God and then one day get us to heaven. They're looking for a king. For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Luke chapter 4. Give your Bibles a workout this morning. Luke chapter 4. Now this is in Jesus' own words. Luke chapter 4 verse 42. This is Jesus speaking. And look what he says. This is amazing. Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. How many of you have ever seen that verse before? For this purpose, I have been sent. What was the purpose? To preach the kingdom of God. 
Preach means proclaim. He says, I have been brought to this earth to tell you about God's government that has been lost. I have been brought to this earth to reestablish a kingdom that was lost way back when. And next week, we're going to look. We're going to go all through the Bible, and I'm going to show you every time God tried to, his intention was to get the kingdom back in the earth every time. We're going to go from the Old Testament. We're going to go to Genesis. We're going to go to Exodus. And we're just going to go right on through. And you will never again look at heaven the same. If you don't see it different today, you definitely won't see it different next week. Because we're going to talk about the nation of God, and we're going to see what God was trying to establish the entire time, what he was trying to get back to. I said last week that this isn't a new message. I know it's new for us, but it is not a new message. It's actually the oldest message. It's actually the very first message, the very beginning. And over time, we've lost it, and now we're getting it back. Now we're getting it back. So, Matthew... Or Luke chapter 4, Jesus says, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities because for this purpose I've been sent. For this very reason. This is the whole reason why I'm here. This is the whole reason prophets have been talking about me. People have been prophesying about me. This is the whole reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. is to proclaim the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. This is the first time... Jesus preaches the very first time. This is the first time he gets before someone and preaches. Chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His very first message. His very first message. You know, you, you can go through the Gospels, go all through it, but you're not going to find Jesus talking about heaven very much. You won't. But you will find the word kingdom, it's in there over 150 times. Jesus came for one purpose, to preach the kingdom of God to proclaim the kingdom of God. And look at this down in verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease among the people. What's he doing? He's doing two things. He's telling people about the kingdom, and then he's demonstrating the kingdom. He's saying... I have come to show you what heaven is like. I am come to show you what the kingdom of God is like, what God's government system looks like. Now, let me demonstrate it. There's no sickness in heaven, so he's taking out sickness. There's no demon possession in heaven, so he's casting out demons. Then, he starts even doing crazy things. He's telling waves and storms to stop. He cursed a fig tree and it died. He's walking on water. What's he doing? We just think, oh, you know, those are just signs and miracles. Is he just showing off? Is he just saying, you know, look how cool I am? No. He is demonstrating the authority over the earth that man ought to have. Jesus was the representation of the kingdom of God. Not only did he talk about it, 
He showed us how it works. He showed us how it performs. He curses a fig tree. What's he doing? I have authority over the earth. He tells a storm to just stop. What's he doing? I have dominion on this earth. He is restoring what the last Adam lost. The Bible refers to Jesus as the second Adam. Why? Because he is the only other person born on the face of the planet that was born directly from the Spirit of God. But guess what? We can be born of that same Spirit. We can be born of the same Spirit, which then gives us the ability to possess and do the same powers and same signs and wonders that Jesus did. Can we lay hands on the sick and see them recover? You better believe it. Can we tell a storm to stop and go a different direction? You better believe it. We've done it. Back in uh, 2004, it was my first year in St. Augustine. I just moved there in July. 30 days later, I get my first hurricane. That's exciting. I just moved there. Now, I came from Texas. We get, we get bad stuff there. Man, I've seen some tornadoes. I've seen them. I've seen them. I, I, I saw one that went right through the middle of downtown Fort Worth and just took out building after building. It's cool stuff. When I say cool, I mean, you know, not awesome, but, I mean, it's powerful stuff. But guess what? None of that was supposed to have control over man. You know what they call those things? Natural disasters? They call them acts of God. What God? Not the God I know, the God of this world, but not an act of God the Creator. Because He created this earth with a certain order, and He's called us to establish and bring back that order. So in 2004, we've got a hurricane coming. And it, I mean, it hit, but not as bad as they said it was going to. And we got together as a church, and we prayed. I'm not kidding you. Does it sound stupid? Does it sound? Look at Jesus. Did he not stand out on a boat in the middle of a storm and say, peace be still? But yet when I tell you that we prayed and we saw a hurricane turn around and go the opposite direction, I sound ridiculous. No. We've got to change our thinking. This is the kind of power that we have. This is the kind of authority that we have. As the body of Christ. Man. So not only is he preaching and telling people about the kingdom. He's showing you what the kingdom looks like. In my kingdom there's no sickness. In my kingdom there's no worry. In my kingdom there's no lack. In my kingdom, I mean, he, they're needing money to go pay some taxes. And he tells Peter to go to a fish and pull a coin out. That's called control and authority and dominion over the earth. Remember what God said in the very beginning? Have dominion all, over all the earth, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air. Who remembers the prophet in the Old Testament that actually had birds bringing him food every day? Why? Because the earth answers to us. The earth is in our control. The earth is in our grasp. The earth works for us. My goodness. Why is it weird that a bird would bring somebody food? Why is it weird that you could go to a fish and, and pull out a coin out of its mouth? We have got to realign our thinking. These things we think about and they just sound dumb and stupid. And why, How could you ever believe that? But we've got to change that thinking. We've got to change that mentality. Uh, Matthew, 
chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. You know, throughout Jesus' ministry, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, this man was obsessed with the kingdom of God. Literally, I mean, it's all he talked about. And he's doing, he's trying so hard to relate the kingdom to people. I mean, look at some of the things he alludes to. He says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like leaven. The kingdom of God is like a field. The kingdom of God is like a treasure in the field. The kingdom of God is like a fishing net. Why is he saying that the kingdom of God is like a fishing net? Who's he talking to? What are these people's main occupation? Fishing. So when he says the kingdom of God is like a fishing net, like a drag net, he's he's relating the kingdom down to their terms. He's relating the kingdom so they can understand what the kingdom is like. It's all he talked about. Everywhere he went, the kingdom of God will do this. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of God is advancing. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is not in word uh, only, but in demonstration and power. I mean, he's just talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, and we've just overlooked it. I mean, there are people right now that tell me that I say kingdom too much, that I talk about and preach about the kingdom too much. Dead serious. They have a hard time reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John then. They'd have a hard time living in Jesus' day. It's all he talked about. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He's teaching his disciples to pray. And man, we've been praying. If you guys are able to make it to morning prayer, uh, we're praying out some stuff, man. And right now I've been just giving some time of instruction. And uh, we're seeing things happen. We're seeing why we come to pray. We're seeing what corporate prayer does, how coming as one unit, one body. If you go through the book of Acts and see what happened when they came together and prayed in one unit. I mean, you got disciples that were just arrested, beaten, thrown in jail, threatened for their lives. And they're not coming together grumbling and complaining, saying, I can't believe they tell us not to do this. I can't believe they try to hurt us. I can't believe they put us in jail. This is stupid. Why do we keep doing this? What'd they do? They came together and prayed, received power and boldness, and went back out and did the same thing. There are a lot of Christians, there are a lot of believers, there are a lot of pastors that are getting weary at what they're doing, and it's because they have no prayer life. I'm telling you, right now, there are people all across the world, believers, Christians, that want to be closer to God. A relationship is determined by communication and information. I'm not close with my wife because I married her and put a ring on my finger. I'm not close with my wife because we live in the same house and we've had a child together. There are people, there are couples that have had kids together that are no closer than the man on the moon. So apparently that's not the key. There are people that are married and there are as they are as far separated in their own homes. What makes me close to my wife? Communication. Information. What I know about her. See, information brings intimacy. Information brings me closer to you. If I tell you the deep things about my life and the secrets and the things that are closest to me, 
we've just gotten a little closer. And because I communicate on a regular basis, people desire to get closer to God. And, and you know, people are actually looking for outside means, other ways to get close to God other than praying. There's three ways God has given us to be closer to him. Three ways. Prayer, reading the word, which is him talking to us, and church. But yet we got people that refuse to go to church, refuse to open their Bibles, and refuse to pray. Yet they want to be closer to God. It ain't happening. I don't care how far out in the woods you get. I don't care uh, how much you worship a tree or worship cattle. I mean, there's people that are trying to do all kinds of crazy, ridiculous things to get closer to the creator of this universe, and you can't get any closer than him living inside of you. But you have to cultivate a relationship. A relationship is just a relationship until it's cultivated. I may have a relationship with my mom and dad because they're my mom and dad by title, but if I don't cultivate the relationship, then there really is no relationship there. And we're, you want to base the relationship on a title. You want to base the relationship on an action that took place. The only way a relationship gets closer is if there's communication taking place. And this church, I said it, uh, I've been saying it in prayer, this is not a church that prays. This is not a church that prays. This is a church that receives answer to prayer. This is a church that receives answers to prayer. Because anybody can pray. In fact, there are, Christians aren't the only ones that pray. Christianity is not the only religion out there that prays. There are other religions that are way more uh, ritualistic and way more tied to prayer than even we are. They face a certain direction. They do it at a certain time. They say a certain thing. So what's the difference? What's going to be the difference for Anchor Faith Church? Anchor Faith Church is not a church that prays. We are a church that has answered prayers. Because we are the only ones, Christians, believers, we are the only ones that pray to someone who's on the other end listening to us. We have this confidence in him that when we make our petitions known, he is faithful and, or he hears us when we pray. Nobody else has that. No Buddhist, no Muslim, and dude, they pray a lot. They pray a ton. They got a certain time of day. The sun's got to be in a certain position. I mean, just ridiculous stuff. Are they getting answered prayer? No. They're praying to something that's empty. There's no one on the other end. I want to pray and talk to a God that hears me and is willing, is able to meet my need. Amen? Well, I didn't mean to get off on that, but prayer's good. And we've been praying, and uh, you guys should come. It's been a good time. Uh, where were we? Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is talking to his disciples about prayer. And in verse 9, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debtors, or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Forever. He's, let me ask you this. Would Jesus ask us to do something that we could not do? Would Jesus be that silly to actually ask of us to do something or request something of God that could not be done? Absolutely not. 
So when he says pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what we see down here is supposed to look like up there. I mean, we we use the term a lot, heaven on earth, right? Man, that's like heaven on earth. We should be experiencing heaven on earth every day. This is our prayer. This is what we're supposed to be requesting. Now, why is he saying that? Because that is our purpose in the earth. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Notice this prayer isn't selfish. This prayer is bring the kingdom of God to earth. I put you here. The whole reason why I put you here, my whole intention was to put you here to extend heaven to the earth so you could show people what heaven looks like. That's what Adam and Eve were. They were representatives. They were agents. Has anyone here ever had to represent something, represent a school, a business? You had to go somewhere and you had to represent your family. I'm standing in for my family. What are you doing? You are you're bringing with you everything that your family was. You're bringing with you everything your business is. You're bringing everything that your school is. And so now they are going to base what your school looks like off of you. They're going to base what your business looks like off of you. They're going to base your family, what they look like, off of you. You are a representative of the kingdom of heaven. I'm telling you right now, God is not, doing a, not, God is not getting heaven in this earth without using you, without using us. Period. Because there's enough in this world that points away from God. There's enough in this world that shows that God isn't real, where God, uh, you know, isn't in control, where God's not doing anything. And this world is going away from him. But he's requiring heaven to come through mankind. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, the end of this chapter. Now we're talking about a priority. Remember I said that change in your life doesn't come without you making it a priority in your life. Nobody loses weight on accident. Nobody gets stronger and bigger on accident. Uh, nobody becomes more disciplined uh, and, and, and more prioritized on accident. Nobody, nobody comes better at scheduling and, and getting tasks and assignments done on accident. You do what? You make it a priority. If you want to lose weight, then you make it a priority to eat right and exercise and do the things you're supposed to do. If you want to, uh, if you want to become better uh, with your agenda and taking care of things on time, then you make it a priority to do things, to schedule things out and buy things that will tell you what time to do stuff or whatever. You've got to make it a priority. You have to make it a priority in your life. So Genesis, or, uh, Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Seek first. Now, he just got done going through a list of what everybody's seeking. They're seeking where they're going to live. They're seeking what they're going to drink. They're seeking what they're going to eat. They're seeking how they're going to make money, where they're going to work. These are things that people are seeking after on a daily basis. What's he say to do? He says to seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Then what? All these things will be added. Everything else that you're looking for will be added. Now, when he says seek first, does he mean seek that and then seek everything else? No, because he finishes off with 
If you seek this first, then you won't have to seek. Isn't that awesome? You just seek the kingdom, and then everything else is taken care of. Seek the kingdom. You know, I had a hard time with that. What does that mean, seek the kingdom? How do you seek the kingdom? Because we know that Jesus already said it's not an observation. It's not here or there. So how do you seek the kingdom? You just make it a priority. I could go do this or I could go to church. I'm going to go to church. Uh, In your job, I am at my job not to make money and bring in a supply for myself, but to tell people about God. And every person I come in contact with, every employee, every employer, every coworker, uh, every customer that I have, every vendor, is now going to hear about the kingdom of God. That is my assignment. And you seek first the kingdom. You know, we are placed with decisions every day where we have an opportunity to seek the kingdom or to seek ourselves. That means if you have finance and you need to pay a bill, but you know you need to give to church because it is required to give the tithe and the offering, then what do we do? If you're seeking the kingdom, you are giving to the church. You're seeking the kingdom of God. Then what does he promise to do? Everything else will be added. That's seeking the kingdom. We all have opportunities to seek the kingdom. Time. Time's a huge one. Seek the kingdom with your time. I can seek the kingdom by watching this TV show, or I can seek the kingdom by, I can seek myself by watching a TV show, or I could seek the kingdom by getting in the Word, or spending some time with God, or taking someone to lunch that needs to hear about God. I mean, there's just so many different ways that it will realign your thinking when you start to seek the kingdom first. And then uh, John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Is this good? Amen, this is good. We're talking about a kingdom. I'm, you know, I don't know about you, but this was liberating for me. This was truly liberating. This set me free from being stuck to a religion and being stuck to trying to do different things and trying to be good enough and trying to be the right person. And then everything down here just meaning nothing until I get to heaven. This has completely changed what I do now. This has liberated me. There is freedom. People enjoy the freedoms that this country offers, but I'm telling you, there is a lot more freedom when someone else is making the decision for you. I'm going to tell you that right now. That sounds like the stupidest thing in the world. How in the world could there be freedom in someone else making a choice? You know why? Because they have your best interest at heart. God knows what you need before you need it. God knows what you're going to need tomorrow, so don't worry about tomorrow. See, this government has you worried about tomorrow. Invest in this. Get a retirement plan. Get health care. Get all these different things. What's all that do? Try and take care of tomorrow. And God said, I just want you concerned with this 24 hours. How am I going to pay that bill tomorrow? You don't worry about it. I'm asking you to give that $100 to this today. But I need it for tomorrow. I'm not asking you to worry about tomorrow. Be concerned with today. And when you take care of today, and when you obey me in this 24 hours, when the new 24 hours starts up, guess what? I'm there meeting that need. That's all he's asking for. That's freedom. That's freedom. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. I don't have to be concerned with what am I doing today that's going to take care of tomorrow. I'm just doing and obeying God as he's called me. Now, John chapter 18. 
This is a conversation that Jesus has with a government official. He's not talking to a religious person. He's talking to a political person. He's talking to a governor. And in verse 33, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? So Jesus is on trial right here. He's standing before a government official who knows what a king is. This guy's not joking around. He's asking, seriously, are you a king? Verse 34. Jesus answered him and said, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? 35. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. 37. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king? And look at Jesus' response. Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So Pilate straight up asked him, are you a king? And his response is, yes, I am a king. But not of a kingdom that you can see. Not of a kingdom that is on this world. I am from a kingdom from a different culture, a different country. He didn't deny being a king. He admitted, I am a king. And he goes on to say, this is why I'm here. The whole reason why I'm in the earth today, the whole reason why I've done what I've done for the last three years is to proclaim that I'm a king and to show you the kingdom from which I come. Okay? Now look at this, last one. In Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I'm showing you why Jesus came to the earth. He came to restore and to reestablish mankind, to redeem mankind, to place them to place them back in an original location. Jesus did not come to make a way to heaven. Heaven will take place. I'm not denying heaven. You will find that throughout this, throughout the kingdom message, I'm not denying anything we've ever heard. I'm not denying salvation. You still have to be born again. You know, Jesus only talked about being born again once. And he didn't even preach it. He talked to one person about it at like 2 o'clock in the morning. So he wasn't trying to go out everywhere and tell people, you've got to be born again, you've got to be born again. That's not what he was saying. Do you have to be born again? Yes, because he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. To see the kingdom of God, to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Obviously, Nicodemus didn't even understand it. Thought he was saying, I've got to go back in my mom again. But that's not even what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was preaching the kingdom. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, and let's start with verse 1. 
The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, has given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things, what? Pertaining the kingdom of God. So notice here, this is after Jesus has died and rose again, and now he's closing it out. He's getting ready to ascend here. He has just bookended his ministry with the kingdom of God. He started, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Throughout his ministry, he's talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. The kingdom of God can be related to this. It looks like this. And now he's closing out his ministry. I don't know about you. If I had died and rose again, I'd be talking about how I just died and rose again. But he wasn't even talking about the cross. I mean, that that'd be pretty cool to me. I just want to talk about how I, how I went down to hell and everything I did down there, and I got it all back, and and now, you know, I'm getting ready to go to heaven, and now you're going to heaven. That's not even what he's saying. He's still talking about the kingdom. He's getting ready. I mean, his last words, he's getting ready to get yanked up into the clouds, and he's still talking about what? The kingdom. That's all he talked about. And what's he doing? He is getting his people, his 12 disciples, prepared to minister the same message, to do the same thing. And we'll go through Acts, and we'll go throughout the New Testament, and we'll look at all the allusions to the kingdom because it's been lost. So what do I got to do? I got to uncover it all. I got to reveal it all. We got to grow in this thing. We got to learn in this thing because... If you are just living life down here on the earth with no purpose and no identity and nowhere to go and nothing to do with and just a big picture of heaven, then we're not even seeing what this whole Bible is about. This whole book is about a king. It is about his children, royal offspring, and the kingdom that he's given to them. If you're a child of God, we all believe we're children of God. When you're born again, you become a child of God, right? If God's a king, then what does that make you? Royalty. Guess what? There's privileges, there's benefits, there's honors that are bestowed upon royalty. So we we got to change this whole thing. I'm not saying you can't call yourself a Christian. I'm not saying that Christianity isn't a real religion. But I am saying that, that we've lost the true picture of what Jesus came to bring. We've lost the sight of it. And so that's what we're bringing back. Let me show you one last verse, and we'll close it out right here. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Just to show you that Jesus wasn't preaching heaven. Jesus wasn't preaching, you know, one, I'm just trying to get everyone back to heaven. I am the way to heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he wasn't talking about the way to heaven. Heaven is a byproduct What was the original goal of Jesus dying on the cross? What was the original goal of him rising again? Look at this in John chapter 17. Let's start with verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. This is Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's talking about his 12 disciples. The whole beginning of this chapter 
uh, John 17, he's praying about his disciples. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That word sanctify means to separate. Means to separate. So he's saying, I'm not asking you to pull them out of the world. I'm asking you to send them into the world just as you sent me into the world, but separate them apart from the world. Why? Because you can't influence the world if you become the world. Tim Tebow would not influence NFL if he became just like everybody else in the NFL. Just about their career, just about their own rewards and awards, just about getting as much money as you can, just about getting the greatest contract and playing for the greatest team and winning championships. If he became like everybody else, he would not influence and change. So Jesus says, sanctify them or separate them. Set them apart. As you sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. So right there we see that Jesus is not, I mean, he's praying to God here. And he's not saying, all right, now as soon as I die on this cross and rise again, you know, get them to heaven. That's where we want them. See, a king only has authority in his kingdom. But heaven already has a king. Who's the king of heaven? God. So if we've been given dominion and authority and then go to heaven, do we have any dominion and authority there? No. There's already a king there. There's already someone in place. For us to operate in dominion and authority... We must operate on this earth. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned, they brought something into play that shortens everything. It's called time. Because before that, everything was just eternal. Everything was eternity. There was no, well, one day I'm going to die. One day I'm going to get too old to do this. One day uh, I'm not going to be able to be here. I'm not going to be around. There wasn't any of that. They were just going to be here. But while we have time on this earth, while we are placed on this earth with the time that God has given us, we have been given a mandate, we have been given an assignment and a task to rule, control, establish, and bring order back to this earth, just as Adam and Eve did in the garden. The garden is no longer something that we just look at and talk about, oh, wish it could be that. No, this entire world will not be changed back to that until the very end when God's kingdom comes to the earth, but it can be changed in our lives, which means sickness doesn't have to rule in your life which means uh, lack and worry does not have to operate in your life, which means anxiousness does not have to take place in your life. The kingdom of God is within you now, and now it is up to us to bring the kingdom of God to the world. That is our assignment, just as it was to Adam and Eve, and that is what we are carrying out today. This church is a kingdom church. This church will preach the kingdom. And the other reason that I said last week that I believe the kingdom message has been lost is the hindrance. I mean, you look at what the disciples went through. You look at what Jesus, everywhere Jesus went, 
there was obstacles and hindrances, people trying to kill him, people trying to throw him off cliffs, uh, people denying him, people trying to argue with him, people trying to bring up judgment against him. I mean, he was eventually killed, not because of the person he was, because he was a nice person. He was a nice guy. Why would anyone want to kill that man? It's because he came as a political person trying to rise up and bring a government to the earth. And they thought it was a government that was going to take over the other governments, and that's not what he's doing. It's a government that is in play that if the other governments would give in to that, this entire world would become what God was trying to do from the beginning. And so over time, I mean, you're talking 2,000 years, 2,000-something years, we've been preaching that this message has been lost because of hindrances. I know in my own life that I have come into some hindrances with some people that it's just, wow, thought you were my friends. Thought we were good. Thought we were together in this thing. And now I start talking about a kingdom, which is what this entire Bible is about, and they deny it so hard, and they're so radical about it that I've been pushed out of their lives. I have no contact with them. People that I was close with, people I could go to, to lunch with, go to dinner with, hang out with, go to their houses, have them over to our house. And now they want nothing to do with us. They speak evil against me. I'm not lying to you. And so because of that, sometimes the hindrance is too much. Sometimes the weight and the responsibility of the message is too much that comes with it. And people give in to that. And you look at what the disciples, I mean, the disciples are dying left and right. Heads chopped off. I mean, they're being beaten. Uh, they're being, you know, played.